1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Because people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. All right, this is going to sound a little out there. I know that. But uh, bear with me. Has it occurred to anyone that maybe, just maybe, placing tariffs on China might actually be good for our economy? China's notorious for its bad faith trade policies, and we now have the strongest job market in 49 years. With the Dow gaining another 86 points today, S B and p declining 0.04%, and Nasdaq tipping 0.51%. Uh, you might want to consider the possibility that tariffs could be, I know what's out there, I said that, positive not a negative look i know tariffs are inflationary i know there are tax on consumers but you need to understand that this is now an amazon economy it's not like we need to keep buying this stuff from china people should stop thinking that way there's always someone else out there who can give you a better price That's globalization. As I've told you before, I think most American companies will simply start sourcing their merchandise from other countries with lower labor costs. Hey, listen, it's cheaper than eating a 10 percent tariff. And China's not that cheap to make stuff more anymore anyway. Here's how I see it all playing out. A company like Walmart that imports tons of stuff from the People's Republic now might take a small hit for a couple of quarters. But then either the trade war gets resolved or they start sending their business to Thailand or Vietnam. In the meantime, we've got the tax cuts in a red-hot economy. Walmart has fought these tariffs tooth and nail, but this is hardly the end of the world for them, particularly, and remember, everybody got a big tax cut in the corporate world. There's a reason the stock is up more than 18% year over the year. That's just not some made-up number. This big-cap stock. And that is the real takeaway here, people. No matter how much you hear people fretting about protectionism, the stock market clearly doesn't see these tariffs having much impact on earnings per share, or else the averages would would not be hitting new all-time highs every day. With that in mind, why don't we see what's on tap for next week? First, we'll be sitting down with Jamie Dimon. Yeah, us, okay? The CEO of J.P. Morgan, asking him about everything from tariffs and Trump to banking and business. I think it's going to be must-see TV. Do not miss this interview. There are few executives with a better read on both the nation and the world than Jamie Dimon, and, of course, on business. Who knows more? I can't wait to do this. On Monday, we should also know the results of the bidding war for Sky, that terrific international cable company. Disney and Comcast, the parent company of this network, have been fighting over this thing, and it's a total dice roll situation. I bet we can get a settlement that makes both companies happy, but maybe I'm being too optimistic. How about earnings? Alright, we start with a joyous situation. Not that long ago, we were worried about the viability of Asina. That's that mosaic of brands that owns Dress Barn, Ann Taylor, Loft, Maurice's, and Justice. It got so bad that the stock traded below two bucks, not confidence inspiring, and that, it stayed below two for quite a bit. But now Asina's bounced back to four bucks and changed. I think business has picked up enough to take the viability issue off the table. If we get a good number, I expect the stock to rally and rally hard. But if we get a disappointment, frankly, I don't think there'll be a huge decline. I like that risk reward. Tuesday will be at Dreamforce, the multi-day tech festival hosted by Salesforce.com. This is like the hodge for technology. While we're out there, we're going to sit down with some of the best minds in Silicon Valley. Salesforce also has an analyst meeting. Given that rival Adobe just bought a company called Marketo to give themselves more of a competitive edge against Salesforce, I want to hear what Salesforce has to say. I think Adobe paid a lot, $4.75 billion, especially since Marketo went private for $1.8 billion just two years ago. No wonder the stock got slammed for more than five bucks in the news. But maybe Adobe had a good reason. We're going to do some digging when I'm out there. After the close Tuesday, we hear from two gigantic winners for a long time now. We hear from Nike and Cintas. I got to tell you, the analyst community is so certain Nike will report a fantastic quarter that's almost eerie. My take: I expect the numbers to be great too. Whether that sends the stock higher is another story. I like Nike going into the quarter, but so does everybody else, and that tends to limit the upside. It still could be good though. As for Cintas. This uniform rental service has blown away the numbers quarter after quarter after quarter, ever since it's bought it, its principal competitor. I've been telling you to buy it for ages. I think it remains a fabulous play on the resurgence of small business in this country. I would buy Cintas ahead of the quarter. Wait, I like that blue. Well, I liked it. Um, the Federal Reserve... The Federal Reserve meets next week and is expected to raise the federal funds rate by a quarter of a percent on Wednesday afternoon, 2 o'clock. It will also issue a statement that might address the potentially inflationary tariffs in a way that might be a bit jarring, people. This event is the biggest hurdle towards finishing September on a high note. The financials have the most to gain from a rate hike, but you need to wait and see what the Fed has to say. We've got to parse the statement before you buy them. We also hear from CarMax on Wednesday morning. Well, isn't this one interesting? The used car market is very robust here, and that allows CarMax to deliver excellent numbers. I bet they do it again. It's not all sunshine and roses, though. Bed, bath, and beyond. BBBY reports after the close, and i got to tell you, people have lost a ton of money speculating that each quarter would be the quarter where these guys finally turn it around hasn't happened yet. Stock has a decent risk of war here, but that's not enough to make me want to pull the trigger. The bulls, by the way, figure that either Bed Bath will get its act together or the company will take itself private. But so far, neither's materialized, and I don't know when either will. Plus, I think Bed Bath could get hit by the tariffs because they source a lot of this stuff from China. There are so many better companies, why bother with this one, people? Thursday's got some really positive situations that are worth considering. In the morning, we hear from Accenture, okay? Uh, Accenture's that huge information technology consultant I have liked for so long. I think it's absolutely terrific. Um, I expect a fantastic quarter from the company because it helps many enterprises figure out how to go d- digital. Accenture has been an extraordinary story. and We've been hiding it every step of the way, but it can be an erratic trader. I would buy some before the quarter and some after. My favorite food stock reports before the opening, and that's McCormick, the spice company. A year ago, they bought Frank's Hot Sauce. A year, a year ago, they bought Frank's Hot Sauce. You know, Frank's, they put that stuff on everything. And uh, also French's Mustard. And that was from Wrecked Ben Kaiser. A lot of people call it Ben Kaiser. That's because they don't know anything. And ever since that deal started paying off a few months ago, the stock's been unstoppable. I have to admit, this stock is in nosebleed territory here, as so many investors have figured out what we got first, which is that this is a fantastic growth story. You might want to wait until the stock cools down before you do some buying. We also hear from another food stock, ConAgra. Unlike McCormick, this is a deep value stock. ConAgra is acquiring Pinnacle Foods and a cash and stock deal, which could give it some real heft in the frozen food aisle that's so beloved by millennials, they'll eat anything. I like the Pinnacle deal, I like the stock, Finally, on Friday, we get results from Vale Resorts. I mean, this one has been – i don't, there's no layups in our business, but this is another company that's repeatedly shot the lights out. Yet, for some reason, the analyst projections are still pretty conservative. I think that's crazy. The secret behind Vale success? the experiential economy, people cannot resist vacationing in Colorado. Hey, I was just there. I don't blame them. Here's the bottom line. We have a bunch of good quarters worth getting ahead of next week, as well as a key Fed meeting that could push the bank stocks still higher. Oh, and we'll put September, arguably the most difficult month of the year, to bed, hopefully with flying colors. Let's go to Brandon in Illinois. Brandon! Jim, booyah. Thanks for taking my call from good old Chicago, Illinois. Oh, man, I got uh, got a bunch of guys that I'm playing fantasy from Chicago this weekend. What's up? Not too much, Jim. Uh, I'm calling you this evening about uh, DNKN, Duncan Brands. With the recent talks of a potential Duncan buyout similar to the Coca-Cola and Costa Coffee deal, Would you still think this is a good buy around the 74? Dollar uh, okay, market, this is a really interesting it. thing. You know, there's some short sellers, noted short sellers out there saying that this one's falling apart. I think they've been proven wrong. That said, I think the stock is rich and it's up on a lot of takeover chatter. So I'm not going to recommend a stock that's up on takeover chatter. But I will tell you, by the way, that Starbucks acts very well. And that's because KJ, Kevin Johnson, has been buying back the stock underneath the whole way, using all that money from Nestle's. I don't think this is the quarter that turns I think the next one is. I'm going to Jim in New Jersey, which happens to be me. Jim! Jim, Jim Kramer, the John McLean of the market, the diehard of the dollar, man. It's Jim from Jersey. How you doing? <laughs> Chief, I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing great because I've listened to you for the last 10 years, brother. And this week's been uh, it's okay to make some profits. And All right, nothing wrong with that, this especially the in the till raise. So listen, All right.
2: i got a question for you. Okay. The American automobile renaissance has pretty much slowed up. So now we're in the electric age, and i got to ask you about a stock that would be a great contender with, uh, against uh, Tesla. It's NIO, and uh, they do have some
1: problems about manufacturing. They outsource a lot, but what's your thoughts on it? Jim, we're not going there. We're not recommending Chinese stocks. We are in an economic war with China, and it would behoove me. I tell you, we don't want to put any of those on our, our sheets right now, our portfolios. Nothing from China. Nothing. Let's stick with New Jersey. Let's go to David from New Jersey. David! Jimmy, good evening. I'm calling you on Arconic, A R N C. In July, they reported they were gaining interest from private equity. And uh, in August, uh, they also report they're willing to sell and open to offers. It's had a nice run since. Do you believe a sale is imminent and if it could go higher? Well, look, I can't recommend a stock on a takeover basis if I think the fundamentals are weak and the fundamentals there are weak. I think the stock could still go up a little bit, but I am not going to push Arconic. Our charitable trust sold it much higher and I say good riddance. All right, next week will be a powerful one. One that I think will put the difficult month of September to bed with flying colors. Okay, uh, on Mad Money tonight, after importing red hats in the red, Uh, Is this your opportunity to buy, or should maybe we be a little bit more uh, circumspect? Should it get the tip of our hat? Let's speak with the CEO. Then, the thought of buying an engagement ring might cause your palms to sweat. Oh, where's mine? Uh But could buying the stock of Signet Jewelers be less daunting? I'm taking a closer look at the company's potential after a couple of tough months. That's an engagement ring. (laughs) And then there's been a 135% year-over-year increase in financial data being sold on dark web. It might sound scary, but I'm talking one private company that's helping you stay secure. So stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money.
1: Exactly how worried should we be about Red Hat? The open source software company is so integral to helping businesses embrace the cloud that we named one of our cloud kings here. But two days ago, Red Hat reported its second not so hot number in a row. Now, this stock has a tendency to sell off after earnings, even when the numbers are really good. Historically, these pullbacks tend to be just, I would call them terrific buying opportunities. But that's not what happened this time. And you have to wonder if something's changed here to make the story less attractive. What happened? Red Hat reported a modest bottom line beetle and a modest top line miss. However, just like last quarter, they cut their full year sales and earnings forecast. And this time, management indicated the pricing is getting more competitive, with a rival software provider stealing away some existing business by undercutting them on price. Stock got slammed in the news, and it's now down 24% from its June highs. Question is, has Red Hat been punished enough? Can this fast-growing cloud play get its groove back? Let's take a closer look with Jim Whiters. He's the president and CEO of Red Hat, who's a real straight shooter. We've got to figure
3: out what's going on here. Mr. Whiters, welcome back to Made Money. Jim, it's great to be back. How are you?
1: All right, Jim, I've got to tell you, I'm a little concerned because, you know, I think you're a terrific CEO and you have a great company. The bulk of your business is in uh, enterprise Linux and it grew at eight percent. And you're you're one of our cloud kings and we're not uh, it's unacceptable to grow under double digit uh, in terms of being a, a hyper growth or even a very aggressive growth company. So what's happening here?
3: Well, we we talked about this at the beginning of the year, Jim. Uh, Three years ago, or two and a half years ago, we started down a path of trying to get our customers in three-year agreements. By getting them in three-year agreements on Linux, it gives us time to go then sell them new products. And the problem with that is those three-year agreements are typically fixed, and so they don't go up in value every year. So the bulk of our Linux business in these three-year deals isn't growing at all. Now, they will next year when these first round of three-year deals come back up for renewals. We talked about how next year, with a lot more renewals from those, you should see more growth. Uh, But for right now, that's a key driver of it. We did say we expect this is the bottom and it should re-accelerate from here. We have good visibility and our total backlog grew 20% this quarter. So we have a pretty good sense that it'll accelerate from here.
1: All right, well, I know that you're, you've been saying that. The thing that I'm concerned is, uh, well, first, I, I got to ask you, is there any chance that things have been, the revenue drivers saturated, that there's just not enough customers left out there?
3: Oh, not, not at all. I mean, if you look at the macro drivers, just for Linux, which is our traditional business, it continues to look really, really strong. The vast majority of the workloads on public cloud are Linux, Uh, We've shown that our customers stay with us when they go to the public cloud. Uh, The vast majority of net new workloads are on Linux. So whether that's big data or analytics or anything web-oriented, the vast majority on Linux. Even Microsoft says now that the majority of their new workloads on Azure are Linux. So the market's growing very, very nicely. Um, So we're not concerned about that. It's just as we've locked customers in these longer-term agreements, we really have to wait till those renew before we see a lot of growth. And again, I think that overshadows the fact that our big pushes into the cloud around things like uh, OpenShift, it continue to grow really fast we added over 100 customers and so the cloud portfolio is growing really really fast and we're really pleased with where that is as well
1: all right well how about the rare competitive loss those that's a quote from you uh, of to an on-premise provider i know it was on price but but jim your your offering is so much better than anything on premises i don't i can't believe that you lost something on price
3: Well, look, I mean, you know, this is one of these ones. If you look, we talk about the top 25 deals every quarter. Over the last three years, that 300 deals, we've had two competitive losses that haven't come back. And so to some extent, do we want to cut our price or are we okay with somebody trying something else and then typically they come back? And so we've only had one other customer beyond this one, which went away and didn't then later come back. And so again, if you win all... 300 out of 300, it probably means you're underpricing. So I'm okay losing one every now and then. Let the customer try something else and then realize the value of what we do. And typically, they do come back. We've had other losses where they come back.
1: All right, I read a piece by Eric Johnson. He interviewed you at The Street. and he was, You talked about actual slowing of your JBoss middleware pro, uh, business that you said that, that culturally, basically, there's been some changes in the way people uh, do things. And that worried me because that seems like a secular decline.
3: Well, yeah, so we have two pieces of our middleware business. We have what I call the traditional middleware, which is the Java application server for you'd say older, heavyweight uh, applications. And that we've talked about for a while will slow. Uh, It is being replaced by our newer middleware, which is embedded in the OpenShift portfolio, with our messaging, with our API management, with our rules engine. And those are all growing quite nicely. So what we talked about, there's some optics in the middleware business. But overall, that portfolio, if you look at middleware and emerging, is growing over 30% and continues to be really healthy with really good customer adoption.
1: All right. Well, that's good. I wanted to hear that. Now, uh, how about a big strategic partner for you? I mean, maybe an Amazon, a a Google could be your partner. I mean, right now, Microsoft nominal partner, IBM partner. But how about somebody really huge that you could just land that would make it so that I would feel better about the growth?
3: Well, look. Yeah, we announced a big partnership with Microsoft. We announced a big one with IBM. Uh, Yeah, we work very, very closely with Google and Amazon. So. Uh, right now, a large piece of OpenShift, which is our container platform, actually does run on uh, AWS. And last year at our conference, you know, Andy Jassy and I uh, did a whole piece mm-hmm. on OpenShift on uh, AWS and how it runs really well there. And matter of fact, our dedicated service is there, so they're actually a really good partner uh, on the public cloud side as well in terms of our container platform. Google we made some announcements with. They okay. do have a competitive offering, um, but I'd say AWS and Microsoft are both very big partners and big drivers of our next generation portfolio. Okay, fair
1: enough. Jim, I'm glad you came on this show. That's Jim Roy Hurst. He's the president and CEO of Red Hat. Says there'll be an acceleration coming up. Maybe that's what will get the stock moving in the right direction. We have back after the break. Wall Street loves a good comeback story. That's why we're always on the lookout for troubled companies that are finally getting their act together. Let me give you a textbook turnaround example. Signet Jewelers. Oh boy, I haven't said a good thing about this one in a long time. Not long ago, Signet, which is the company that owns K Jewelers, Zales, Jared, several other smaller brands, looked like it was roadkill. It was like the pain never stopped. The
2: house of pain. The
1: darn thing plunged from $150 in late 2015 down to $33 at its lows this past April. First thing, is growth started slowing because most of their stores are shopping mall-based, and until very recently, that was an ugly place to do business. Then people realized that the company had become more of a lender than a jeweler. They were lending lots of money to people with bad credit in order to juice their own sales. When they put a stop to those practices, the numbers took a hit. But perhaps the worst thing was this big Washington Post take out a terrible expose from a little over a year and a half ago, where hundreds of Signet's female employees claimed that they'd been sexually harassed or sexually discriminated against. There was a big lawsuit, too, and several of the company's top executives, including then-CEO Mark Light, were implicated. Obviously, what happened at Signet was a horrible injustice. But uh, purely from a business perspective, the last thing a jewelry company needs is a reputation for being hostile towards women. Who wants to buy an engagement ring from the sexual harassment guys? So after months of damage control, White announced his retirement, ostensibly because of health issues last July. That's when Cigna told us they were bringing in a new chief executive, Gina Drosos. She's a board board member who'd served as the CEO of Assurex Health, but before that, Before that, Gina spent 25 years at Procter & Gamble, ultimately running their global beauty care business. Big job. While it's taken her some time, she started delivering an incredible turnaround here. From its lows in April, Signet has already seen its stock more than. Double. So, how did she do it? First, Trozos understood that the key to any turn, any turn, is managing expectations. You need to under promise and over deliver U pod while you change the culture and fix the business. So, when Signet reported a hideous quarter last November with same store sales plunging 5%, she slashed the full year sales and earnings forecast. It was just a gigantic goddamn. In response, the stock got eviscerated, losing more than 30% of its value in a single session. <laughs> The company went on to have a pretty ugly season, uh, and in early January, she shaded down the earnings forecast a bit more. Fast forward early March, seeing the reports a not so hot quarter that's nevertheless slightly better than people feared. However, this time, Joseph decided she needed to take a blowtorch to the guidance. She said the earnings, uh, w- w- that the company would start earning somewhere between $3.75 and seventy-five cents and four twenty-five this year. Analysts were expecting more than six bucks of EPS. Six months before they were talking about earning 7 to 750. Instantly, Signet loses another 20% of its value. This whole experience was brutal. But Trossos did the right thing. She needed to reset expectation. And when she realized the extent of the damage her predecessor had left her, once she took the dramatic action you always want to see in a turn. Now, on that same day in March, Trosos also laid out Her turnaround play, it's called The Signet Path to Brilliance. At the time, this was overshadowed by the guide down. But in retrospect, it was a very important moment. She brought in two female board members to help fix the culture problem. She told us that Cigna had agreed to sell the last of its non-prime in-house financing business as part of a longer-term plan to outsource all of their lending. Joseph wanted Cigna to get back to the basics, to be a jeweler for heaven's sake, not a pushy bank that just happens to sell engagement rings. Even better, we learned that the company would use the proceeds from this sale to repurchase $475 million worth of stock, which is, was equal to roughly 16% of Signed's share count at the time. That's a huge statement of confidence in the underlying business. All aboard. On top of that, she rolled out a major cost-cutting plan to rack up 200 million to $225 million in savings over the next three years. Josephs has also been closing underperforming stores more than 200 in the current fiscal year, which is a big deal even for a company with roughly 3,000 locations. What else? The plan called for Cigna to invest heavily in improving its e-commerce business. Jewelry might not seem like a natural fit for the internet, but these days people like the option to buy everything online. And I thought Grosso showed real ingenuity going that way. A lot of people doubted that. They were wrong. Now, at the time, the analysts were really skeptical. The guidance was so terrible that few people wanted to take a chance on Signet's turnaround plan. But you know what? After spending a few months trading sideways in the 30s, it didn't take long for Signet to get its groove back. In June, the company delivered a better-than-feared quarter, a nice top and bottom line beat with flat same store sales when Wall Street was looking for a 3.9% decline Klein. Hey, get this. Zales was actually up nearly 9%. The digital business grew by double digits. They told us they'd repurchase $60 million worth of stock during the quarter, and they plan to use the remaining $450 million in their buyback authorization over the next nine months. Despite the good news, Drosos remained cautious, though. She didn't want to overpromise. She talked about signs of stabilization, but also made it clear that the next quarter could be difficult thanks to some tough comparisons. Still, even with all of that caution, the stock spiked. 18%, because this was much better than the catastrophe that the Bears had been expecting. Hey, then in July, listen, we got some really good news. Signet finished outsourcing its credit business. The bad loans were now someone else's problem. Finally, three weeks ago, the company reported an absolute true blowout, maybe one of the best of 2018. After underpromising quarter after quarter, Drosos finally overdelivered. Signet crushed the estimates. They earned 52 cents a share. Wall Street was only looking for 20 cents on substantially higher than expected revenue. The same store sales increased by 1.7%. They're supposed to be down 4.5%. Drossos totally sandbagged the bears here. (laughs) E-commerce business, now it's roaring. Even better, she raised her full-year forecast across the board. Hey, how about that buyback? You know how they were supposed to spend more than $400 million over the next nine months? Get this, she did it in three. To put that in perspective, she retired 14% of Signet's uh, share count in a single quarter. They've retired 25% just over the previous year. That is one of the most aggressive buybacks I have ever seen in my career on Wall Street. No wonder the stock popped 24% in the news. Since then, Signet's been hit with a downgrade. (laughs) City worrying about intense promotional activity. They're worried that without the extremely generous credit business to boost sales, the company will need to cut its prices to drive sales growth. I don't know about that. i got to tell you something. I think Wall Street is very pessimistic about Signet. I think perhaps too pessimistic. When you look at the consensus estimates, they're only looking for 2% earnings growth next year. That seems crazy to me when you consider that Signet just shrank its share cap by 14%, which is going to give the earnings per share a real boost. I suspect the estimates are too low, and the stock is cheaper 15 times next year's numbers. Plus, the company has some very easy comparisons coming up over this holiday season, and I think retail is going to be fine. The bottom line Gina Drosos has proven herself to be a true master of u under promise and over deliver. She's turning Signet jewelers around. And even after the stock's recent run, you know what? I still think it's worth betting on. Bye bye bye! Let's go to Amir in Virginia. Amir!
0: Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, just have a quick question in regards to the RH, like, uh... Like, after the earnings, like, do we hold on to it? Or oh, I yes,
1: like- definitely. I mean, look, people are worried about uh, tariffs because they make it, they import a lot of stuff from China. I say I'm worried about missing the next move because when Gary Friedman buys stock, you got to buy right oh, along with oh, him. Let's go to Jake in Michigan. Jake. Hey, Jim, a big Motor City booyah to you. Oh, most certainly. What's up? Love Shoulder Alerts Plus, your books, and appreciate all you do for oh, me. You're a kind man. Thank you for joining the club. What's going on?
3: Hey, several years ago I took a position in P V H based on your recommendation and a fantastic interview with Manny Shirico on your show. Since then the stock's had a great run, and as you often suggest, I've taken enough off the table to where I'm now playing with house money. Okay. It's had a bit of a pullback recently, but it's starting to recover. So where do you see PVH going from here? You know,
1: a lot of people felt that this quarter wasn't as good as VF's corp, uh, uh, quarter, and I think that hurt it by comparison. I personally think that I've gone over the quarter. I was on vacation when it came out, and I've gone over it. I thought the quarter was fine. I think the stock's a buy. I would hold on to PVH. All right, Signet has finally gotten this precious act together. I think it's got even more room to run. All right, much more man buddy. With state-backed hackers from around the world getting bolder and more sophisticated, how should you protect your from cyber attacks. I'm sitting down with a private player in the space, to see how you keep your things secure. Then many are concerned that the memory chip party might be ending at the Micron's earnings. I'm gonna tell you why there still might be something to celebrate, or at least believe in. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the second so round! So stay with
0: Kramer.
2: Monday. Kickoff the trading day was squawk on the street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
1: What are you the Senate? Senator Favor? Point of order,
2: Senator Faber. Point of order. That's, that's, Point of order. I prefer local Point politics, of order! Not national. Well, the
1: Chairman yield?
2: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
1: And more of their lives online the need for effective cybersecurity just keeps growing and growing everything's on the cloud now that means it's more vulnerable so what's the future of data protection i think this is a case where we need to check in with a privately held player get a better sense of where the industry is headed take q6 cyber these guys have a very different approach to online security whereas most of the cybersecurity companies are defensive and reactive their goal is to stop hackers from getting in q6 takes a much more proactive and nuanced approach, frankly. They go on the offensive. How? By monitoring the digital underground to identify potential threats before they happen. In other words, they're like digital spies. It's almost a corporate counter espionage outfit. That's a very intriguing idea, isn't it? Now, early this week, I got a chance to check in with, with Ellie Dominance. He's the founder and CEO of Q6 Cyber, again, a private company. Take a look. Ollie, we have all the cybersecurity companies on, and one thing that seems to, very different here is that you seem to know where the bad guys are and what they're up to.
0: That's exactly what we do, Jim. We, we take a fundamentally different approach to security. We practice intelligence. We preach intelligence. It's, it's similar. It's related to security, but it's quite different. Let me give you an example. Um, if you're the new information security officer of a large enterprise, you believe your mission, is to detect attacks in real time, repel them, stop them. You're actually dead wrong. Why? It's too late. By the time the bad guys are knocking down your door, banging on your window, it's too late. These guys are steps ahead of you. What we try to do is go after the bad guys, find out who they are, what kind of tools are they using, what kind of tactics do they have, who are they targeting, why are they targeting you, and providing that intelligence to our clients means that they can be prepared they can eliminate and address these threats immediately and early before they become bigger problems. Okay, so why isn't the government doing this for them? The government is, but unfortunately the government has got bigger problems and a lot of problems to worry about. And protecting the private sector, banks, healthcare companies, retail companies, e-commerce companies, is not always the number one priority. So the government is doing a lot. We actually collaborate, we advise them, we work with them. But it's not enough.
1: There are examples that you've got. You've got uh, six of the top 10 financial institutions, two of the uh, top five internet companies. What are you finding out that they don't know, that they should know?
0: A, A lot of things, primarily specific targeting new types of malware going after them. Let me give you an example. A few months ago, we detected a very sophisticated, very advanced malware author based in Russia that was going after a particular bank in the US. So we're able to go to that financial institution and say, look, this individual, this group actually is going after you. These are the tools they're using, so they can put in place different measures, different tactics to make that malware, that attack ineffective. So the, 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 the thing that a lot of cybersecurity organizations are doing today is putting up tall fences, cameras, sensors, if you will, around their network perimeter, and they're trying to detect attacks, events in real time. The problem is, again, it's too late. You've got to go out there, you've got to engage these guys early, And having that intelligence up front means that you're prepared and you can engage much earlier.
1: Do you find things uh, for customers that weren't customers and you tell them, look, you got to look out for this and then they hire you, uh, put you on a retainer?
0: All the time. Uh, Mm -hmm. We we provide a lot of intelligence, a lot of alerts to organizations that are not clients. We don't ask them uh, by quid pro quo, you've got to sign up. We provide that information. Of course, many of them ultimately come back to us and say, hey, we want to do this proactively. We want to do this on a regular basis. And, of course, that that happens quite a bit. You
1: do have uh, some very serious uh, 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 places you hire from, uh, Your elite units in intelligence agencies of USA and and Israel. So those people have seen and and done and can work for clients where they don't have uh, and probably be paid more, obviously, by you than they can ever for the government.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm very proud of the team we have. We have offices in the U.S., Tel Aviv, San Jose, Costa Rica. We're a global company, so having that global presence is important. The people we have are incredible. They've been fighting cybercrime. They've been on the front lines of intelligence agencies for a long time. But they come to us because it's dynamic. It's exciting. And it's the reason we've been able to retain good people, because the work that we do is very cutting edge. So going after the bad guys every day is a lot more fun than waiting for them to come after you.
1: But how about state-sponsored? Look, we're having a trade war. We're fighting back against the Chinese. Should we presume that the Chinese are doing things that you might be detecting in the dark world?
0: Look, the, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians, the Russians, they're, they're after all of us. Corporations, individuals, Law firms. A- absolutely. They're, they're after all of us. We, we do track them. We do track organizations that are affiliated with nation states. They might not be fully employed by a nation state, right. but they're supported and they've got a relationship. So we do that, and, and really that's why we're here. You know, for a long time, America waited. Right. We weren't proactive. We were defensive. And these guys are smart. They're sophisticated. They've invested a lot of time and money in going after us. And we've got to wake up. We've got to be much more proactive.
1: Can like, the uh, Federal Election Commission hire you? Because we know that they try- targeted
0: elections before. Uh, I don't want to comment on any specific clients, but we've got good relationships in the public sector as well. And, and there are a lot of things that we see that have implications for, for uh, the public sector, not just the private sector.
1: Fair enough. That's what we need to know. That's Ellie Dominus. He's the founder and CEO of Q6 Cyber. may have money back to the break. It is time. It is time for the lightning round. Over. So, right right the cell. And then Robert. the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? the time for the lightning round. the lightning going to start with Robert in New York. Robert. Booyah, the Booyah.
0: What are your thoughts on UPS?
1: Well, you know, UPS, they had that big annual state meeting, and it kind of thudded. I think the company's okay, but I do prefer FedEx more. Notice how FedEx has come right back, even though it's supposed to be such a disappointing quarter. That was wrong. Let's go to Greg in in California. Greg. Hey, how are you doing, Jim? I am doing well, Greg. How about you? I'm doing great, thanks. I just wanted to get your opinion on Comstock Comstock Resources, ticker simple CRK. We're not going down the speculative food chain when it comes to oil and gas. That always tends to be a mistake. The Chattel Trust, I've been telling club members of actionordersplus.com, it's a simple one. You buy BP and you get that 5% Ah, yield while you wait to oil. Come back. Let's go to Sybil in Louisiana. Sybil. Hi there. Sybil. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? Well, fine. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Okay. Well, I am interested at AT AT&T, and I'm just wondering what you would suggest. I like it. It yields 5.9. It's well behind the market. I think you can trade up 10% in a snap. I want to go to Jim in Florida. Jim. Hello,
2: James. Happy Friday to you and your very nice staff.
1: Yeah, well, we're just kicking in right now, right here. How can I help?
2: Well, I need some type of tech
0: stock in my portfolio to remain diversified. Okay. Although this is a sector I'm at least knowledgeable, you know, and to be honest, a little afraid to invest in. Right. But I'm thinking that Intel, any better thoughts? No. Here?
1: I mean, Intel doesn't really have a CEO. That's probably a problematic situation there. I think if you want a lower risk, uh, set, uh, risk stock in that segment, I would go with Cisco. Uh, Chuck Robbins' company, I, uh, Action Awards, for Chapel Trust as others, but they may be too so called go go for you. I like NVIDIA longer term, best gaming chips. Let we need to go to Tom in Connecticut. Tom! Hi, Jim. I'm Tom from Connecticut. Okay. My wife, Beth, and I own Teledoc Health. The symbol is T D O C. Right. They just had an analyst meeting. I just have been going around telling people. I, I used it the other day, uh, and that things are really good. So it's not the right time to uh, buy it. But I think if you want to hold on to it, fine, because it is revolutionizing. And not kidding. It's disrupting the entire uh, doctor-patient relationship in a positive way. Let's go to Dustin in California. Dustin. Mr. Kramer, how are you? I am good. How are you, Dustin? all uh, robotic. M-Z-O-R. Dude. All right, uh, now if you buy M-Z-O-R, you're now buying Medtronic, which, by the way, wouldn't be so bad because Medtronic got major months too buy, cheap. Buy, 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 and buy, buy, buy. I think MDT is terrific. Mentioned it the other day as a high-growth stock that I like. I need to go to Gary in Florida. Gary. Hello, Prima. Yes. Well, when my father passed away recently in January, I'm he left a bunch of uh, very high-interest dividend stocks. Of which, one I've been watching called uh, ETP, Energy Transfer Partners. It looks like it's being taken over by its major company. Well, you know, it it is a high risk. Well, it's merging with ETE. Uh, I do think it's a high risk situation. They never did have to cut the dividend, even though the balance sheet wasn't good. But you can hold on to it. I don't want you to have to cash in right now, but it, it's not a great situation, but that yield does seem to be safe after all. Let's go to Yoube, or U B in Florida. Yoube. Booyah, Jimmy, how you doing, man? Good day, Friday, how about you? I'm all right, man. Okay. Hey, Jimmy, I am I
2: have a stock called Walmart, okay? WMP, okay? Right. I have a couple of thousand shares, and Walmart have been doing some very, very, very
1: good progress, okay? All right. Well, I look, I like Walmart very much. It's a, it's expensive, but you know what? It's incredible. And now, be careful yours. The one thing I would tell you is, is that because of the tariffs, probably going to be some guys cutting uh, ratings next week, but that's when you want to buy it, not sell it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Jim, we are Sammy, and thank you for being the greatest in the world. Well, maybe they're not my style, but I don't know. They look good on some people, I'm sure. Maybe we need to take all these worries, and perhaps with a grain of salt, maybe a whole container of Morton's iodized. Who it a- seems well red hot to me. No, let me change this. Me change. I was the busiest I've ever been to the. Enough is enough. a riddle. Which matters more? The fact that Micron made some downbeat comments last night about how select clients are making inventory adjustments. Or the fact that the chip maker plans to buy back $10 billion worth That's almost 20% of the company. The stock got hammered today. It fell 2.87%. So we know what controls the stock short term the inventory adjustment, which, by the way, is code for the customers have way too many chips and just don't need any more. But didn't we all know about this? I mean, heck, it's why Micron stock has been going, it's free fall for ages. At this point, after this decline, get this, this is pretty amazing. Do you know that Micron sells for 4.2 times earnings? That's the average stock in the S&P sells for more than, let's say, about 20 times earnings? Do you know that Micron is the single cheapest stock in the entire S&P 500? That's right. They're $499. stocks they are more expensive. Whenever you see such a low price, earnings multiple. It does tell you that no one believes in those estimates. I mean, everybody expects number cuts. So were the sellers really surprised to hear that gross margins are going to decline 300 basis points next quarter? I actually expected much more degradation. Were they shocked that there was an impact from President Trump's tariffs when it's well known that Micron makes a lot of chips in China? Were they stunned that the well-telegraphed CPU shortage brought on by problems at Intel would hurt the company, even though it's an open secret that Intel's issues are slowing down the whole darn industry. To me, these were all knowns, not unknowns. They're what took the stock from $62 to $46 going into the quarter. Of course, there are plenty of people who bought the stock. I mean, let's be honest, okay? They bought the stock because noted hedge fund manager David Tepper came on CNBC, and he said that he was very, very long micro. But buying a stock based on that kind of endorsement from a hedge fund manager is usually a mistake. Tepper has no obligation to you. And I like Tepper. I'm just saying he has no obligation to you at all. For all we know, he sold it Wednesday into the run-up going into earnings. Hey, maybe he bought more today. Who knows? He's not here to tell us. But does this mean that Micron is once again doomed to experience one of its periodic crashes? I'm not so sure. Yes, historically, this is a boom and bust company, but this time may be different because Micron has never, ever, ever had a $10 billion buyback underneath its stock when it reported bad news. As CEO Sanjay Moroda said on last night's call, And I'm going to quote again. We certainly view our stock as being undervalued at current prices and are aggressively implementing our stock buyback program. We will continue to maintain a healthy balance sheet and use strong free cash flow to support our $10 billion buyback and assess opportunities to accelerate the timeline for its completion. Accelerate. I mean, to me, that more than makes up for any guidance shortfall or inventory correction caused by customers who were double ordering Micron's DRAMs because they were worried about not getting enough supply. And now they have too many chips, something that's happened admittedly to this company many times before. But after the stock's already brutal decline, I think the buyback could make a huge difference. I think it'd be a godsend. Now, uh, what makes me say that? Just consider what buybacks have done for other large semiconductor company stocks. Remember how much everyone hated Qualcomm and then it announced a $30 billion buyback? The stock's now up from 49 to 73 Never looked back. NXP Semi found a bottom after Qualcomm's attempted takeover bid fell apart, but only after it announced a $5 billion buyback. You have to look like, hey, have you looked at Broadcom? Do you know that stock has worked its way ever higher since it started its $12 billion buyback? And Texas Instruments was up nicely today after it announced a $12 billion buyback itself just last night. The rest of the chip stocks didn't do that well. In other words, before you sell Micron, remember that one out of five of your shares might be bought back by the company itself. Very few people are going to want to buy the stock of a company where the earnings may be down next year. I get that. It's how things look like for Micron right now. So I expect them to continue selling until all the hot money has left the stock. But I think we might look back and wonder whether, unlike all the other times, Micron finally has a meaningful buyback that could act as a safety net, if not a trampoline. And hey, if demand for Micron's chips reaccelerates, you know what? Well, with that buyback going on, I think the potential upside could be Enormous. Stick with Kramer. All right. On Monday, we're sitting down with Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, talk about every single thing that matters. Right? Tariffs, Trump business, lending, the Fed, you name it. We're going to get a read from Jamie. And then we're going out west. Invest in America. We're going to be covering a lot of great tech stories. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I'll see you Monday.